0: Hi, I'm Dr. Chuck Betters, and you are listening to a Help and Hope resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. You know, life often doesn't always turn out the way we plan it. And with me today is Brian Stout, the man who learned that before he was 32 years old, Brian had a lesson to learn. And that lesson is what we are recording here today. And I pray it will be a blessing to you. Brian, you are a husband, a dad. You work for a Christian medical and dental association where you are the pastor to healthcare students and professionals. That sounds really interesting. He's also passionate about preparing couples for marriage and offers a free premarital counseling course on his website. I'm going to give that website to you. It's Brian Stout, B-R-Y-A-N-S-T-O-U-D-T.com. That's Brian Stout.com. But today, Brian and I are having a conversation about how his life took a turn he was not prepared for just before he turned 32. So, Brian, welcome.
1: And tell us a little bit about your family and your work. Thanks, Chuck. I am blessed to have a wonderful wife, Sharon. Same as you, I guess. Yes, we both have a good Sharon. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been married about 20 years now, and together we have four children. They range in ages from nine to 19, Um, two boys, two girls. Uh, Obviously, we'll be talking about my son, Matthew, today. He's nearly 18. He has autism. In terms of my work, it's definitely interesting, as you say, working primarily with future doctors and dentists. It's almost like a crew or a navigators for for future doctors and dentists. Mm. My elevator speech is that in Philadelphia, one in six doctors in the country as some part of their training. It's obviously a hotbed for for healthcare training hmm. around the country.
0: How long have you how long have you been doing that? About 12 years. Desiring God recently shared an article you wrote. I've read that article and it's it's an outstanding article. In that article, it was titled When the Future You Planned For Never Comes. In it you say that before you turned 32, your wife and you said, and I'm quoting you now, goodbye to your golden years.
1: What happened? So up until that point, pretty much everything in my life had gone according to my plan. I had a beautiful wife. We had a daughter. She was healthy. 18 months later, our son Matthew was born and, you know, everything seemed to be fine. But as he neared, I guess, 18 months or so, he wasn't talking. And we started to have some concern about that. Mm-hmm. But everybody assured us, oh, he's just a boy. Mm-hmm. You know, Einstein didn't talk until he was five. Mm-hmm. You know, Things like that, but we were still feeling unsettled, and so we arranged his two-year well visit a bit early, so they could look into that. And I still remember my wife was driving home from the appointment, and she she was just in tears, and she could barely talk to me. You know, through the tears, she was able to say, "You know, Bry, I think Matthew has autism." And back then, you know, maybe sixteen years ago, autism was barely a thing in terms of the public consciousness. And I can still remember Googling it (laughs) on the on her way home from the appointment. And as I did that, you know, I began to see what it was and what the main features were. And and my heart just sank because I felt like this is Matthew. You know, in in two to three minutes online, I could tell this fits him perfectly. And my heart just began to sink, and my mind was racing, and just kind of reprocessing the, the first few months of his life. The months ahead obviously confirmed uh, all of that. And uh, everything that I thought our life was going to become, that began to, to come into question.
0: Brian, tell us a little bit about autism. There's, there's so many different diagnoses that right. use the term autism. What is the diagnosis that your son has? And perhaps where is he on that spectrum?
1: As you're saying, autism really is a spectrum disorder. People who have it, it can be very different one person to the next. Usually everybody with autism has some sort of social challenges. You know, they they struggle Mm -hmm. to interact with the people around them. It might involve anxiety. It may involve serious communication limitations. That's one of the common features. So Matthew is probably on the moderate to severe end of that spectrum. He does talk, but he's very limited in what he can discuss. He also struggles with rigidity, repetitious speech, repetitious behaviors. And in his case, kind of looking long term, he's going to need some kind of full time care. So we wouldn't want him, for example, at home without an adult being able to to look into what he's doing. He's not going to go off to college Any job that he would do would be really limited. Something very simple. His life isn't gonna look like probably most of us would hope for our kids.
0: Is there uh, any particular moment that's kind of uh, seared into your brain where you realized you're you're never really going to experience many of the dreams that you have, not just for your son, but for your family? Was there any particular time or moment when that hit you? uh,
1: Or was this something that was gradual? It kind of came in stages. I would say there wasn't one moment in particular. Early on, people told us the first few years of his life are really important in getting him as much help as you can to give him the best kind of outcome. And so I think as a young guy, you know, I did everything I possibly could. My wife certainly did too. And I probably more than my wife, being a guy, had this idea that we would fix him. And I think that was obviously somewhat naive. And when it became apparent that that wasn't going to happen, we began to really think about, okay, Lord, what does it look like to journey with the son you've actually given us? And to realize that he was going to need full-time care throughout his life. I think we started to make those those adjustments in our heart and to begin to process that with the Lord on a deeper level.
0: Yeah. I can imagine that in your family structure, you have three other children. Is that correct? Yes. And it has to take a toll on every member of the family, perhaps even your other children, when so much attention is devoted to Matthew and to his needs? What, what are some of the practical ways in which you and your wife have guarded those other children from feeling somehow that they're not as important in terms of what they need as far as Matthew's concerned?
1: I, mean, I think early on, honestly, we didn't do a great job with that we were in survival mode. Part of that is that our third child, uh, she was born a month after Matthew's diagnosis and she contracted whooping cough or pertussis and she was in the hospital for a month and a half. And so my wife also had postpartum depression. And honestly, for the first probably year and a half, we were just trying to survive. And I think the truth is to some extent, our other kids didn't get the attention that, that we wanted them to. And I know that our oldest child in particular, who was maybe a year and a half when Matthew was born you know, three at the time of his diagnosis, I think she would look back and say that was a hard time for her and, and pretty painful. Uh, and we, we still feel kind of badly about that, honestly. We tried to do our best. We tried to talk to each other and just kind of have a state of the union almost every day, asking each other, what do you need today? What do our other kids need today? And, and how, can we, how can we make sure they're getting what we think they need? So just kind of being in constant communication was really important. I think it was hard, though, because when you're trying to survive, the tendency is not to to think about other people. And it's easy to become a little bit inward instead of looking around you. But I think with God's help, we tried to remember we're not the only person here. We need to keep our head above water and try to love the people around us.
0: Where is Matthew in the birth order? He's number two of four. I'm sure there was a toll that dealing with Matthew has had on your marriage? How have you and your wife guarded
1: against any kind of attacks on the intimacy of your marriage? I think at a deepest level, it's walking with God first and foremost, you know, really recognizing the need to stay connected to Christ. And I I very quickly realized that if I wasn't processing this with the Lord, I wasn't going to be in a position to stay connected to my wife. So that... That was the most foundational thing. There were times where we just asked for help. You know, being able to say to our church, we're not doing well, you know, we need you to make a meal for us. We need you to allow us to have a date night and not trying not to be ashamed of being needy.
0: My wife likes to say that she feels the safest when she knows that I am in the word. And when I'm not in the word and she knows that I'm not in the
1: word, she panics a little bit and mm. gets concerned. Is that true of you as well? I think by God's grace, he's allowed me to be fairly consistent with that. But I know that there have been times where I've been angry with God and not processing processing whatever's happening with him directly. And I think she can tell that. And yeah, it does make her concerned. You know, I, I really take that to heart. And it almost snaps me out of out of a selfish place. Hmm. The life of a
0: caregiver is a difficult place for anyone, but especially for one, I I think, especially for one who has no faith, one who does not see a bigger picture and a mightier power overseeing the the testing and the trial that the, the person is going through. In other words, uh, a God who has a bigger purpose. Uh, I know in the article, you, you quote kind of an awakening passage for your wife in Job chapter 38, mm-hmm. where I can relate beautifully to this because right after we lost our son, Mark, I was sitting in the mountains of Idaho writing the vision statement for our church, feeling sorry for myself. You used the expression anger with God. I had a lot of anger because we had we had endured a lot of trial prior to losing our son. And it's almost like There was, Mm -hmm. this was too much. God, you crossed the line. And I began to say those things to him. I I was reading the book of Job and feeling no comfort from the book of Job (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, because I uh, I, I just felt as though there was an anger toward God that I just could not reconcile. Mm -hmm. And while I'm sitting there on that porch in Idaho, we're up in the mountains, uh, looking down into the valley, Uh, I come across Job 38, where God basically says to me, okay, Chuck, it's time for you to shut your mouth, act like a man, and listen to what I have to say. That's Mm -hmm. how the chapter opens. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, where were you when? And then he starts going through all of creation and pointing out in all of creation, all of these majestic things that he did. And he's asking me, where were you when that happened? And of course, I... I was not even a thought in my mother's head yet. One of the passages talks about the, the birds, the power birds that fly through the air. And, and I'm looking down in the valley, I'm seeing hawks and eagles. Mm-hmm. And God's asking me, where were you when? Wow. Was that kind of the moment that your wife had when she came across Job 38?
1: Yeah, I, I think it really was. You know, she was just struggling with, with the intensity of everything that was happening wondering why why it had to be like this and just processing, processing, processing like you do when you're suffering. And I think, I mean, she read the book from cover to cover. She she took a weekend away uh, and really worked through the entire book and kind of comes to that pivotal moment at the end of the book. I think really God helped her recapture a sense of his majesty, of his sovereignty, and just understanding that she couldn't understand it that she had to trust God with this. And then I think also seeing his love at the same time. And at least for me, there's no way I can possibly understand why he chose to allow Matthew to have autism. I'm sure similar with your son in his passing. But what I can't say is that he doesn't care. You know, I can look at the cross and say, whatever I don't understand, you know, he sent his son at the highest possible cost. He got involved personally. And I know that he loves us despite everything we're experiencing.
0: Well, let's talk to the, uh, to the caregiver out there that's listening to this. Let me ask you, what are some non-negotiables that you could recommend to caregivers that will help them not only to care for their loved one better, but also to help them stay healthy and strong?
1: I keep coming back to this, but I think the first and foremost thing is to stay consistent with the Lord. I think more than anything, He wants our heart. You know, He wants us to relate to Him honestly not simply to, you know, read the four chapters in our Bible reading plan. And and that might be helpful, but he wants us. He wants to know what we're struggling with. And relating to him five minutes honestly is so much better than an hour just going through the motions. I would add to that staying in community, you know, saying, I can't do this on my own. I think that involves staying connected to our spouse and also reaching out to other Christians who can support us practically. And I think it also would involve just some moments where you're, you're not in the, the heat of caring for your child, whether it's a date night here and there, even a few hours out of your home. Make sure you don't let your life shrink down to, to the heat that's coming from your child.
0: One of the great struggles that I think anybody has who is experiencing heartache or pain or disappointment or suffering is what is God doing behind the scenes that I cannot see? Mm-hmm. I'm th- even thinking about the book of Job. Job didn't have the book of Job to read, and he <laughs> did, he did not know, as we learn from the first chapter of Job. That's right. He, he did not know what was going on behind the scenes in the spirit yeah. world, and so uh, it, it does cause us to wonder what is going on here that I can't see. What what picture portrait is he painting that I that I cannot see? And so, in that context, how how has Matthew's life turned your heart to the Lord and maybe even equipped you to offer help and hope to other people.
1: I mean, I think it was 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul talks about he's been comforted in his afflictions so he can comfort others. And I mean, that, that's an obvious application. I think over the years as we've tried to walk with God, try to open our hands and just say, God, it's okay that you didn't give us the life we expected. Instead of fighting you, we're going to trust that you have your good sovereign purposes in that. And we're going to trust that you're going to use us to help others. And it's pretty common where people will connect us with somebody who has a special needs child, maybe even autism. And we get to share parts of our story with them and to basically say, you know, this is going to be okay. It doesn't feel like it now, but there's hope for you in this. And we're here to to extend Christ's hope to you. Just the other day, one of our neighbors uh, actually knocked on my door. And he said, hey, do you know so-and-so around the corner? Uh, his girlfriend has an autistic child. Uh, he's just been diagnosed and wondering if you would come around with me to meet her and and just kind of be a support for them. And those are the things that God seems to do with with some frequency.
0: There's a redemption of the pain and a redemption of the suffering. It's not always evident, and it may not even happen in this life, but right. <clears throat> God reserves the right to bring Glory to his name out of yeah. even the most difficult of circumstances that we face. I mean, I'm thinking, even as you're talking, I'm thinking, here is a man that I have just met who has a story to tell. And without us losing our son, you would not be telling this story in this forum yeah. right now because Mark Ink Ministries would not exist. Right. And it's only one little piece of that big puzzle where mm-hmm. God is redeeming the pain. Yes. And, um, I remember, and I want you to react to this. When we when we found out that Mark was dead, we were at the hospital, and we went to the front counter. And as a pastor who had been there many times, I knew the routine. I, I knew that if that nurse behind that counter turned a certain way, we were going to the death room. And if she turned the other way, then Mark was still alive, but we did not know that yet. And she turned to the death room immediately. I grabbed my wife and I I started hugging her. And I looked at the nurse and I said, I know this routine, is he dead? And she shook her head yes. And my wife began to, to beat on my chest because I was the closest thing to her. And I'm just hugging her while she's beating on my chest. And she's screaming no, 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 no. And that moment is seared in my mind forever. Uh, I'll never, ever forget the look on her face, my kids' faces as they made their way in, and just hearing her and feeling her pain as she's beating on my chest. I couldn't help but think, and, I, and I'm sure you can relate to this, that whenever we are faced with this kind of crisis, whenever whenever we receive disappointing news, life-changing news, like you said you lost the golden years before they even started that we are allowed to beat on God's chest, that he can take it, that we can beat on his chest and say, no, no, no. You have mentioned several times now in this interview that there have been moments when you have been angry with God. Do you beat on his chest? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) I had to. I mean, I think honestly at that point in my life, Chuck, I was still pretty shut down emotionally, uh, and I didn't realize it. You know, I knew a ton of right things coming out of seminary. <laughs> uh, I knew all the right answers. I knew the Westminster Catechism. Yeah, we're pretty smart when we get out of seminary, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then life hits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, later, my next-door neighbor, who was a pastor too, uh, basically told me, you know, He just couldn't connect with me at that time because I was all in my head. And I think Matthew getting autism and trying to to process that with God, I mean, that forced me to go deep with God. And for the first time, it was like, wow, God's sovereignty wasn't just a doctrine. It meant he had the right to completely change my life without my permission. And processing that kind of day in and day out and beating against his chest and saying, how could you possibly allow this? Not being able to get out of that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we couldn't fix Matthew's autism. <laughs> and that forced me to stay in that moment with God and kind of beat on his chest mm-hmm. and to relate to him in an honest way that, that changed my life. And, and I'm still beating on his chest. I mean, writing that article for Desiring God, it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. There were three or four times as I was writing that and kind of re- revising it, and I just started weeping at moments that I didn't expect. And it was kind of like, where's this coming from? So, you know, 15 years after the diagnosis, it still comes up for both my wife and I. And I expect that will always be true, probably, you know, until we, we meet Jesus. Mm. And I'm assuming it's similar for you and your wife.
0: Well, it's been, it's been 25 years now since we lost Mark. And um, there, there are moments in which... I like to refer to it as, uh, remember the old cartoons? Maybe you're too young to remember the old cartoons where the, the villain ties the damsel down on the railroad tracks <laughs> and uh, she sees the train coming. Well, I, I view grief that way, is we see the train coming, we know it's going to hit us, it's going to run over us, it's going to hurt, and it's going to pass. Hmm. And as time goes by, more and more time goes by, the train uh, visits us less often, hmm. but nonetheless, it still visits us, and we see it coming, especially during you know Christmas and the holidays, and Mark's birthday, and and what have you. It's pain that we that changes your life forever, and you're going through that right now as well. Pain that has changed your life, and your wife's life, and your children's lives forever. It will never it will never go away, and we have to learn how to redeem that pain and redeem it in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Sometimes that's hard. Well, tell us a little bit about you have a a free premarital counseling course on your website. Why is it so important for couples to prepare for marriage? I say that
1: somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Right, right. Just quickly, we've always kind of ministered to young people. Uh, at one time we were young, but that's mm-hmm. kind of been a lifelong calling for us. I was saved as a college freshman. My wife and I just have a passion for reaching young people. Uh, cause we really believe that the direction you take early in life, it, it really lays the foundation for the rest of your life. But obviously apart from following Christ, you know, the most important thing you ever do, uh, if you're called to marriage is to choose a godly person to marry and, and setting yourselves up well for success, uh, so that's one important reason. But the thing with this course, it's only five days and you can't cover everything. And you just have to learn marriage as you're married. But I tried to cover things that I felt like a lot of churches were missing in their premarital courses and to try to give people a bit of a leg up uh, yeah. as they move toward their wedding day. How can folks access this? Yeah, they can just go over to my website. Uh, but- as you mentioned, com. You can just search for Ready for Marriage course uh, and that that would come up quickly.
0: Brian, finally, I want you to think about a dad who is listening to this for the first time. He picked it up somehow, somebody gave it to him, this resource, and he has just learned that his precious child has special needs that are going to forever change his life. What is the
1: most important step he can take? The first thing I would just do is, is give this person a virtual hug, you know? to just kind of throw my arms around them and to say, I'm sorry, there's nothing I, I can do. There's nothing anybody can do to make this easy for you. And if it's hard, that's it's okay. Uh, don't, don't feel badly about that. I would say stay connected to God. If all you can do is, is say Jesus, <laughs> if that's your prayer for the day, if that's your prayer for the next minute, that's okay. Make sure you're supported. Uh, tell your church, uh, tell other Christians, don't try to do this alone. If you're married, if you have other children, try to lean into God and to to be as helpful to them as you can. It may not be much, but try to remember other people are depending on you. And as a man of God, he can give you the strength to be there for the people who need you the most. And then I think I would say finally, you know, if you continue to walk with God, it doesn't mean that this is going to become easy. But someday you'll be able to look back on this and say, God has used this not only for my good, but for the good of a lot of other people too.
0: Brian, I want to thank you so much for your transparency and your willingness to share your story in this forum. And I know God is going to use it in the years to come to touch many people with the hope that is in Christ. And you have been listening to a resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Uh, You can find Brian on brianstout.com or you can visit us at markinc.com m-a-r-k-i-n-c dot org and that is where all of our resources are listed our resources are free for you to download our resources are there to help you with whatever situation you might be facing we have a variety of of other uh, resources including daily devotionals and broadcast and uh, podcast and they're all there for you to use in whatever way you need them. Mark Inc. exists for the purpose of offering help and hope to hurting people. Our desire is that you will know the Christ we serve, that you will give your heart and your life to Him, that you will ask Him to come into your life to forgive your sins, to give you that free gift of eternal life that He alone can give. He has come to give you life and to give it to you in all of its abundance. And that is an eternal, eternal perspective. We trust that we can be of help to you. So visit us at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. And if you wanna learn more about Brian's story, visit his website at Brian Stout. that's B-R-Y-A-N-Stout, S-T-O-U-D-T.com. Brian, again, thank you so much. And we pray that this interview will be used of you in ways none of us can dream possible. Use it for your glory. We'll give you all the praise for you alone deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen.